You know, one of the things that struck me about our church when uh, my wife and I first visited, um, well, there were, there were two things. First of all, this church is super patriotic. I don't know if you know that, but this church is very patriotic. And when we first arrived, every uh, like American holiday, we would sing one of those old American hymns. And the first verse is always about America. And then as you get deeper into the, the hymns, it's actually asking God to work in the nation, to restore faithfulness and, and uh, work in the, in the nation uh, for salvation. Um, anyways, we noticed that. But then the second thing we noticed is that this church loves and is so proud of its missionaries. Um, I don't think I've been in another church that is so forward about international missions partnerships, who consistently asks the church family to consider and pray for and be generous towards the missionaries. And one of the things that blows me away about that is that the missionaries notice. Um, I know that James Riggs was up here a couple weeks ago doing announcements, and he shared about this special relationship. Um, but when we see our PBC missionaries, uh, they just love this church family. And one of the things that they reflect on is that they love that it's not just that they send their information to the church and it's there. They get responses from you all directly. And a lot of our missionaries aren't just supported by the church, but supported by uh, people in the church family. And so it's just so wonderful that we have these international and, and national connections in our midst. And so I just personally appreciate that many of you are going to be participating in the Missionary Christmas uh, giving that we're going to do. And, and one of the things that is abnormal or maybe excellent about this Missionary Christmas giving is that it's an above and beyond gift. It's really meant to be a blessing to those missionary families as we're, we're there. And one of the things that we've learned is that when these families are overseas, they, they often don't have a church family to celebrate with. They often don't have a church family that gathers around them and loves them and supports them in the way that we experience. And so this love gift causes them rejoicing and thanksgiving, and it's a blessing, and it helps them to remember that Christmas is a season celebrating God's generosity, and they're experiencing God's generosity. And so I, I love participating, pardon me, personally, uh, participating personally in Missionary Christmas because I see the effect of it and how much it encourages and strengthens those missionaries. And so I just want to thank, thank you all for participating in that. A lot of you pressed cider yesterday. Uh, many of you are, are either going to go buy something or give or, or whatever, and uh, just love that spirit of generosity. Okay, so uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to be in a sermon series called Above the Storm. Um, so I grew up in Chicago, and Chicago is known as the Windy City. Now, many of you know that. Uh, you probably also know that it's called the Windy City because of the politics. It's not the weather, it's the politics, okay? Uh, so that's a, a unique thing. Uh, you know, it's the type of city where the dead vote. Uh, they rise from the dead every election season, and it's really wild because they're all Democrats. I... Um, <laughs> They, you just get really liberal in heaven, I guess. You know, there's just so much love. Um, so uh, that's, that's kind of surprising. But growing up, I didn't realize that. I thought it was the Windy City because of how much wind we got and how much weather we got. And so I um, remember one time when I was younger, teenage years, we were going to fly, and it was a nasty, nasty day to fly. Uh, but there wasn't enough lightning to keep us on the ground. And I remember thinking, this is going to be a bumpy ride. And then as we were taking off, you've got that moment where the captain gets on the intercom and it sounds kind of like, right? And, and this guy spoke really clearly. Uh, I love it when they tell you things that make no sense to you. Like, all right, we're going to head north here for about uh, 17 miles and then we're going to take a left at Milwaukee. And we're like, take a left at Milwaukee? Like, how do you take a left? Right, because they're in the air, right? And then he says, Something like, it's going to be a little bit choppy at first, but we're going to hit our cruising altitude of 30,000 feet, and then we're going to be where? Above the storm. And then we're going to have a good ride. 
we don't have to worry about that because we're going to be above the storm. Now, uh, if you're alive right now and you observe the world around you and you're aware of what's happened in the last few seasons, it's been stormy for a while in our world. It's been difficult. It feels like the, the pressure's been cranked up on humanity. It seems like calamity after calamity is coming our way. Uh, the, the news media doesn't help because they've really figured out that the more they press the fear button, the higher their ratings get, which means the more money they get. And, and then in their system, it seems like they're there to help you and give you news, but the reality is, is that you're their monetization point. You're actually the thing that works for them by giving them money through the advertising that they can engage with both online and when you're watching those shows. And so we've got this really weird world that's become twisted around fear and power and division, right? The problem is, is that fear and power, when used with fear and division, is destructive to the human soul. It's destructive to the human soul. Uh, it's no wonder that over the last few years, things like depression and anxiety have increased. Uh, suicide is on the rise among the young, among the young, okay? And so there's this huge amount of storming going on in life, and it's incredibly difficult, and it's incredibly painful at times. And I'm guessing that you have experienced that in your own life, or you know someone who has experienced that in their life. Many young people I know, so people who are college-aged into their 30s, just wonder what the future's like. They're disenfranchised. They don't buy the system they don't understand how life is going to work out, and they're just sort of pulling back and not doing anything and becoming aimless, not because they don't have any worth, but because they're so caught up in the storm, in the trial, in the difficulty that they can't find their way forward. They're disoriented, frustrated, and upset. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. If it's not you, there's a good chance that it's someone you love. And so I'm hoping that as we look at the Word, as we find principles in Scripture, it will help you navigate the storms of your life personally, but also the storms of the world as we go through increasingly trying times as we get ready for the Messiah to come. So some of you are tracking the course of world history from a world perspective, which is awesome and exciting in a way, and some of us are tracking the course of world history from a heavenly perspective, and we're aware that we're living in a time in the Bible that's known as the last days. Now, this last days lasts a while, right? But at the same time, it's clear that towards the end of the last days, the world's going to experience birth pains, and there's going to be increased disaster and calamity, there's going to be increased disease, increased war, increased panic, increased all sorts of difficulty. Now, that difficulty is not meant to destroy humanity, but it's a little bit of an alarm clock. Hey, the clock is ticking. Jesus is coming back. And it's an alarm clock for the church because we remember, oh yeah, we're to be about our Father's business. We have this gospel to share, and it's an alarm clock to the world because when things are hard, people know they need a savior, and it's like this perfect match. It's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? You've got the jelly of, wait, 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 no, the peanut butter of the world that makes the mouth dry, and then you've got the jelly of the church that's bringing the sweetness of Christ, and it's just this wonderful, wonderful event when that happens, and so we have a privilege and honor as God's people to live at such a time as this that we can be in the midst of this storm. And so today we're going to be talking about rising above the storm, and we're particularly going to be talking about this through a story of wind and waves, a story of wind and waves. And, and the biggest idea of all of this, the biggest idea today, if you don't go home with anything else, I want you to know this, that you need the peace of Christ to navigate life's storms. 
You need the peace of Christ to navigate life's storms. Uh, but let's talk about that a little more in just a minute. So we're going to be in Matthew 14. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 14 if you've got that, or you can punch those buttons. And while you're punching those buttons, remember to silence your phone so that when your nephew calls, you know, it doesn't sound like it's raining men in the room for a little while or whatever you've got on your phone for your ringtone. Uh, uh, so on our way into that, let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and love towards us. Father, I think about in Romans 5, how we know that when we go through trials, that you're working out this process of building constancy and endurance and character in us that leads to a firmness of hope and a hope that is sure, a knowledge that is real, and it is never disappointing because your love has been poured out in us. And Father, as we live in this world, it's easy to become defined by our experiences, by the hurts and pains, by the trauma, by the fear. And so I pray, Father, that instead of that, through this message, that we would become a people who are redefined by your love, that the love of Christ would be the foundation of our lives and that it would lend us a great deal of peace in the midst of the things that we go through. Father, I pray that you would bless me and guide me as I teach today. Holy Spirit, we pray that your ministry would be powerful in this room, touching hearts, freeing minds, saving lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked about needing the peace of Christ to navigate life's storms. Have you ever been lost before? It's not a fun feeling being lost. Remember the first time I was lost as a driver? I was driving around Chicago with some friends and uh, took a wrong turn and ended up in a neighborhood that people like me shouldn't be in, in cars like I was driving, right? And it's sad that that exists in the world. I'm not saying that because I'm happy about it. It's just what it is. It wasn't going to be a safe place for me. And as I realized that, this place of panic hit inside and because I panicked, this foot got really heavy, really heavy, because I was afraid. And I was driving down roads that I didn't know faster than I should have been driving, and that caused panic in my passengers, whom didn't ride with me ever again, as it turns out. But that's a, a different thing, right? But I didn't have peace to navigate the storm, and because of that, I became dangerous. I became concerning to others on my own. I didn't know Christ then, and so I couldn't find his peace. I wouldn't have it. Now, thankfully, one of those turns led to a sign that said I-88, and I got on the highway and out of Dodge at that point in time. So I found the peace of the path, right? And I was able to have peace in that moment. But if you've been lost in life, not just physically, but in other ways, you realize that you need peace to navigate the difficult places in life. Uh, so in Matthew 24, we're going to see how we can find peace in Christ, both uh, if you don't know Christ right now and as someone who knows him already. So this is a story that is a little bit different because it happens right after another set of miracles. Jesus has been teaching all day, and so it's like going to church, right, in Africa. He's been teaching all day, and they've needed to have a meal together, and the disciples were unprepared to feed the masses. And so they're able to rake together a little bit of food, some loaves and some fish, and Jesus prays and gives thanks for that, and then he feeds thousands of people with just one lunch, right? Just keeps breaking off bread, keeps breaking off bread, and at the end of the lunch, everyone is fed, and then he has the disciples collect leftovers. Now, 
ladies, you have the heart of Christ if you keep leftovers. And husbands, honor your wife's desire to keep those leftovers in the fridge, okay? Even Jesus likes leftovers. Uh, Jesus collects the leftovers, and why does he collect the leftovers? Because he wants to show them that his grace is more than sufficient. His power is more than enough for the things that they're going to face in life. Now, having ministered all day to the crowds, uh, he needed some time on his own, and so he sent the disciples across the lake that they were by in a boat, and then the story proceeds from there. So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. The disciples don't know what's coming yet. If you've read this chapter, you know what's coming but the disciples don't. They just know that Jesus is telling them to get in the boat and they are obeying. And they're getting in the boat and they're going where Jesus is going to tell them to go. And one of the things that you need to realize as you're facing the storm is that God knows what's coming for you. He knows what you're going to go through. Now it's important for us to remember that because sometimes inside we can run into a place of disbelief. Why would God let me get into this place where I'm so uncomfortable? What did I do to deserve this? The answer might be nothing, nothing. Maybe you're obeying God in every way. You still may have trials. In fact, in Romans 5, it seems to indicate that trials are part of our path to growth, that we're going to encounter difficulties because we live in a world that is filled with difficulty. And as we do that, God in his majesty in his sovereignty, in his love, is able to work in you a work of transformation. And so as you face trials, you need to sit in the knowledge of God's knowledge of you, that he hasn't forgotten you, that he hasn't forsaken you, which means you can have patience. You can have patience through that trial. And that patience is the start of spiritual growth for you in the midst of the storms that you are navigating. So the disciples are surprised, but Jesus isn't surprised. In fact, Jesus is so not worried that it says this, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So Jesus went and he spent a great deal of time with his heavenly father. Now he did this because he just had a day that was difficult. You know, Jesus had difficult days. Sometimes he was tired. Sometimes Jesus appears irritated. Sometimes Jesus feels alone. He has sorrows and difficulties, just like you and I have. Now, in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus is the author of our faith, so he created it, and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who gets it done, and it says that he's like a trailblazer before us. He's blazing a trail for us to follow him, and it says, therefore, let us cast off every sin that entangles, which, by the way, is the model for how we get rid of sin. We cast it off. We don't struggle against it. We cast it off, and we run after Jesus. Now, if you're entangled in a way that you can't cast that sin off, we would love to help you with that by praying with you, by helping you find truth and knowing the power of Christ in you. It takes sometimes a little bit of counsel to be released from some of the things that hold us back. It definitely takes some prayer and spiritual power. Uh, But Jesus is the author and perfecter. We're supposed to run after him. Now, one of the things that Jesus does as the author and perfecter of our faith is he shows us that the source of strength that we need in life is found with time with our Heavenly Father. When Jesus is weak, he doesn't turn on the television He doesn't go to his man cave. He doesn't go to his she shed. 
he runs to the arms of his heavenly Father. Right? He seeks after the one who knows him, the one who created him, the one who can revitalize his soul. And it says that he stayed there for hours. Did you catch that? Hours. Now, we are Americans, and that means that we like it when our spiritual life comes in the drive through or from the microwave. We like it when it comes fast and easy, and we want it to be as healthy and as impactful as possible. But it doesn't work that way. Nobody can give you just a booster shot and send you along the way, and that's all that you need. Jesus rested before the Father. He sought the Father. He spent time with the Father. And that became the source of his life and his ministry. The strength of your relationship with the Father will become the strength that you have to get through the things that you are called to go through in your life, whether it's trials and personal growth or ministry to other people. That time with the Father is so vital. And by the way, when you start having that time with the Father, one of the things that you're going to realize is that this time with the Father is not just about asking it's about praising. It's about enjoying. It's about resting. It's about peace and love and fellowship. Now, you're probably hearing this and you're thinking, hours? I'm seeing like two and a half people nod. I think that half person might be nodding off. We love you. That's okay. <laughs> now, you're not nodding off, right? So, it grows minute by minute. You know, I remember in my life when seven minutes was a long prayer time. When I came to this church as the youth and family pastor, I got invited the first week to come to an hour of prayer with the elders of the church. And on my way here, it was a short drive. I just kept thinking, how are we going to pray for an hour? What are we going to do? For, how do we, what, what do we need to talk about with God for an hour? He knows everything. What are we going to do in there? And then we were there and we started to pray and we prayed and we prayed and it just felt like time was not going by, like it was just moving so well. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of the elders said, and Lord, we thank you for our time. And as we go out, and I'm thinking, what? And I looked at my phone and I was like, it's been an hour. It just feels like moments. And, and my prayer life grew around these men who had more time with the Lord than I had, who were willing to spend more time with the Lord. And so they were growing, and they were calling me into growth. And so sometimes it starts minute by minute with yourself, but I would encourage you, if you feel stuck in that place, you're like, I don't know, man, uh, three and a half seconds into my devotions with Jesus, I'm ready for a nap. Uh, maybe you need to have that time with someone else. Maybe you need to learn to have a devoted time of prayer, not just on your own, so that you can grow. Just like little kids grow, right? Uh, when you first made your first meal, you know, like let's say it's pancakes, did your parents send you into the kitchen and they're like, hey, go whip up some pancakes for us, okay, George? They're probably not because they're sane, you know, they love you and they're sane. They, they probably went there with you and they're like, this is how you make pancakes. The, the same thing needs to happen with us in prayer. We can grow in prayer in the, the way of walking with the Father. All right, so back to the rest of the story. It says, meanwhile, so Jesus is with the Father, meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, about a mile, it says, about a mile, battered by the waves because the wind was against them, because the wind was against them. So battered, you know, I don't know, there's nothing that I should batter up here, but it just sounds, you know, it's like you're getting beaten up. That's not really it, okay? Battered is the word for torture, 
Battered is the word for torture. It was torturous treatment of the boat. The boat is being tortured by the waves. I think the local Coast Guard knows what it's like to be on a boat when it's tortured by the waves. Have you ever seen their boats? It's incredible. They're made to like roll and submerge. They're like super boats. They're half submarine, half boat, half superhero. That's 150% boat for those of you who are good at math. I mean, they're really excellent boats, right? But those things take a pounding out there and they need constant maintenance because of it. Another way to put it is the boat is being stretched to its absolute limits, okay? And so are the people in the boat. Have you been stretched to your limits in a trial before? Have you thought this couldn't get any worse only for it to get a little bit worse, last a little bit longer, be in a difficult place that you don't want to be in? You need to go back to the beginning. You're seen by God. You're loved by God. His favor is on you. He has not abandoned you in the midst of the trial. He's there with you, as we're going to see in just a moment. So the boat is being battered, and the disciples are being battered. And then there's this very interesting phrase here. Because the wind was against them because the wind was against them. Now, certainly, this is describing a physical phenomenon. They were heading where? Into the wind. Into the wind. I thought I understood what wind was like being from the Midwest, and then I moved here. (laughs) Oh, my word, do we have winds here. It is wild. And what's crazy is everybody seems to be in denial about what they are, right? Like, in the Midwest, when it blows like it blows here, we have a word for it. It's called a tornado, right? Here they're like, it's a squall. That sounds like a bird that you need 12 of to eat, right? It's the source of chicken nuggets. That does not sound significant. Now, they're facing this massive wind, and the wind is against them. They were seasoned fishermen. They knew what the wind was like. They knew that sometimes it would be against them. You know, sometimes I think that as believers, we think that Really, the Lord should go before us and grow flowers where we're going to walk and put nice trees where we want to rest and give us cake when we're hungry and burp us when we're gassy. We just really want the special treatment. For, we really want him to baby us, don't we? I, I like to be pampered and babied, but that's not the path of faith. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something like, uh, rough seas make seasoned sailors. We can't expect to come into maturity in our faith unless we face some rough seas. And Jesus wants you mature in your faith. And so he's going to take you on rough seas. Remember Psalm 23? It's like everybody's favorite psalm. There's this verse in the middle that makes me scratch our heads. Why is this our favorite song? I I would edit this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Time out, time out, time out. If this is going to be a good song, it's like, everything's always the best because you never make life hard for me. It's not that way at all. The beginning of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. It's so nice. He leads me besides the still waters, right? He takes me to the verdant places of grass. He restores my soul. He comforts me with his goodness. 
even though I walk through the valley. It's like we move from like love poetry to death metal. You know, it's, it's really confusing to my soul. The wind is going to be against us, brothers and sisters. We're going to face hardship in life. You should not be surprised that you have difficulties in this world, Christian. Jesus says it like this. In this world, you will have occasional troubles. No, that's my edit. In this world, you have many troubles, poly troubles, lots of troubles, troubles upon troubles upon troubles, okay? It's like tribbles, but actual life, and it's challenging, and it's difficult, but then he says, do not fear, because I have overcome the world. So he says, I am the solution to your trouble with troubles. I am the one who's going to lead you through this and guide you through this. The wind will be against you. I also just want to highlight that there are three things against you, it says in 1 John. You have three enemies. Do you know what they are? It's important that you know what they are. Okay, the first is the world. The world system is against you. It is led by the prince of the power of the air, it says in Ephesians 2, who, who is the devil, and he's orchestrating the world systems to cause harm to God's beloved people, to get ready to re lead a rebellion against the Messiah eventually. It's an evil world, the Bible says. It pains me to say that because it's also a beloved world and a world that Jesus died for, but there's wickedness in the world. Have you noticed that the world just doesn't seem to get better? We always think that technology is going to make things better. In the 50s, we were going to genetically modify food so that we could feed the whole world. Now we've genetically modified food, and you know what that does? It kills the whole world. Our best solutions poison us. It's a wicked world out there. It's crazy. And then it says we have the flesh. That's your old self. The Bible says that when you're born again, you become a new creation, and the old is passing away, and the new has come already. And that old self is called the sarks in the Greek, and that means the flesh. Now, the problem with this is when we think of the flesh, we think like, this is my enemy, right? You can do that too if you push it up. This is my enemy. It's not talking about your physical body. It's talking about your old nature that wants to please itself and loves the things of the world. And then it says the third enemy is the devil. Now, I hear Christians give a lot of credit to that enemy, more than he probably deserves, because the reality is a lot of the things that we face are temptations that are born within us and a willingness to participate in world systems that are meant to destroy us. Because we're not of the world, we're of heaven. We're supposed to participate in heavenly systems. We're supposed to build the Jesus culture in our church families. We're not supposed to be marked by the world. We're supposed to put to death the flesh. We're supposed to starve it out, burn it out, get it out. Don't go along with it. You've got to say no to your wicked desires. And then you're supposed to stand firm against the enemy. You're supposed to stand firm against the enemy. Now, you're going to have these things that are against you, and you need to be prepared to deal with them. Now, as I was preparing uh, this section, one of the things that the Lord uh, highlighted for me was this awesome verse in 2 Corinthians 4. Now, sometimes when we go through trials, we need to recognize that they are great trials and that they're difficult but we also need to remember that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And in 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 8, Paul is talking about his trials and his dependency and strength that he's found in the Lord. We'll start in verse 7, actually. He says, now we have this treasure in clay jars. We're the clay jars. We're earthenware, right? So that the extraordinary power, that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. In other words, Paul's saying, God made you fragile for a reason. You can break down in these trials. 
But the reason he did that is because he put his power in you and that power is greater and he wants your testimony to be a testimony of his great power, not your greatness. Not your greatness. He says we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And he talks about his ministry and how often in his ministry he feels like he's dying. But the, the death that he receives in ministry is participation in Christ's death. And he has great hope in that because it's for the people that he's ministering to. And then in verse 16 he says this, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Therefore, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, well, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is giving us a big clue about some of what it takes to get through life storms absolutely recognize, man, I am being crushed. I am being assailed on every side, but I'm not destroyed. I'm not destroyed. I'm being accosted, but I'm not done yet because the power of God is in me. And instead of focusing on the temporary, which is that momentary, Paul calls it light affliction, we focus on what is ahead. Does anybody remember some of the light affliction Paul faced? I, I remember there was a barista who got the order wrong, and it was decaf instead of calf, so he was tired in the afternoon. I, I remember the spring on the recliner gave out, and the batteries in the remote gave out at the same time, and he had to get up and find batteries, and then something to put his feet up on while he watched the football game. No, 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 it wasn't anything like we face. It was easy stuff. Being boiled in oil, having people throw stones at you until you're dead, being shipwrecked, being bit by poisonous snakes, being abandoned by friends. The really easy things to deal with in life, right? Paul experienced massive hardships. I was just talking with a brother in Christ, and he said, man, after I read Paul's life, I realized I got it so easy. It's all gravy, and I've got nothing to worry about. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, guys, don't get so discouraged about the wicked world that you live in, Corinthian church. I got to tell you, I've taken everything the world can give me, and it didn't kill me because God's power is in me. And I got to tell you that you shouldn't be worried about the trials that you're going to face because God's glory, God's strength in you is greater than you know. And you might feel like you're going to die and you feel fragile, but God is strong for you in your weakness. And you don't have to be overwhelmed in those moments. And then it says this, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. So very early in the morning is 3 a.m. Anybody wake up at 3 a.m. because of the time change? I woke up at 4. I was like, 4? I thought it was 5. My body, it hasn't figured this thing out yet. I'm sure in a week it won't be like anything happened. So he came toward them at 3 in the morning. So they left to go across this lake that is called a sea. They left in the twilight of the day, right, towards dusk. And now it's 3 a.m., so Israel is uh, more equatorial than we are, so the days are more equal than our days. And so they've been on the water for like eight hours. 
They had been on the water for eight hours. Remember what's happening in the boat? It's like a luxury cruise line. No, it's battered. It's battered. They're being pressed to their limit for eight hours. They think they're going to die. They think the boat is going to break apart. They're not sure that they're going to make it. They're in a very difficult place. And what is the Lord doing? He's drawing near. He's walking to them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. Now, do you think that the waves were only where the disciples were? Like, was Jesus on this special part of the sea, and it was like the conveyor belt in the airport, and you're just like, you know, <laughs> you guys are having a rough time over there. You should be on this, man. This is where it's at. No, absolutely not. He is hiking the stormy seas, right? He's going up and down water hills. He's getting splashed. I have a feeling that he was probably a lot like a little kid in the moment. You see adults in the rain, and they're thinking, like, I got to take down the umbrella outside. I got to put the chairs away. I got to unclog the gutters. I'm probably going to have to wash my car because it's going to be messy. You see little kids in the storm, and they're like, I got to get my galoshes on, and I got to find the deepest puddle possible as soon as it lets up, right? Because that's where the fun is at. I think Jesus' heart in the storm, because of his carefree connection with the Father, caused him to be able to navigate the storm better than they were in. He was just out for a walk. When do you go out for a walk? It's the nice days, right? It's the wonderful days. I have a few crazy friends here who like to go out in the storm, right? They're like, I just love going out in the storm. I like going out to the beach in the storm. I'm like in your car, and they're like, no, man, that's for wimps, right? They got their lawn chair out there. You know, they're just like, woo, what a ride, right? You guys are, some of you are weirdos, and I love it. So, Jesus is out there walking toward them on the water. This also tells me that God is at work on your behalf before you know it. God is at work on your behalf before you know it. You get the privilege of telling God about your problems. I want to repeat that. You have the privilege of telling God about your problems, but don't think for a moment that you're going to enlighten him as to what you're facing. He gets it already. I remember one point in time, I was trying to tell the Lord about how bad a situation was. It was for a friend, right? Like, I, was, I wasn't complaining for me. I was complaining for a friend. I was, like, going down the laundry list of why it wasn't fair that they were dealing with another trial. I remember the Holy Spirit being like, you, you, you don't think I know? And I was like, oh, my word. I don't have to twist God's arm behind his back. Lord, it's really bad, and they really don't deserve it for him to care. He cared already. And he cares about your problems already. He cares about your trials already. More than you know. And he's already at work. And then I love this. Jesus is coming towards them because he loves them. And this is what happens to the disciples. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Okay, th this is like inadequate descriptor at this point in time. So the Bible, when it talks about the boat being accosted, it just says it happened. But then the way it describes the terror that they face, it's like this ongoing situation. It becomes the adverb that describes everything that they're facing, right? So they think they're going to die, and then all of a sudden, one of them, guys, stop, 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 stop. Don't bail any water. Don't make any noises. Okay, this causes pandemonium. They are freaking out. You remember in grade school, the cooties thing? Okay, so one time cooties broke out on the playground at my grade school. I kid you not. And it was pandemonium. A boy came up to the girls with a worm. 
the girls were whipped up faster than whipped cream on Christmas Eve, right? Like, like they were going. They were gone. They were screaming. They were shrieking. Other boys figured this out and also picked up gross things, and some of them just acted like they had gross things. And this was better than tag, because we just ran around like this, and every time we got near a girl, there was pandemonium that broke out. There was massive panic on the playground at Alice Gustafson Elementary School that day. It was ongoing panic and terror for the girls, we thought it was fantastic, right? Like, we're laughing the whole time. But the girls were in terror. It is describing ongoing terror. It is not a momentary fear. It is consuming their minds. It is mind-blowing terror that they're facing as they see Jesus the ghost. He's the friendly ghost with the most, but he's still Jesus the ghost, right? And so they are wretchedly afraid. They are wretchedly afraid. I mean, they're near, like, passing out levels of afraid now you're way too mature and smart to get there right like you guys are just you've got life down but but i just want to point out that when you're on the brink of it right when there's more hurt and more pain and there's more fear and there's panic and there's chaos and there's confusion and everything is going wrong and the feathers have hit the fan one of the weird things that can happen to you is that everything can look like a threat everything can look like a threat when we get in that place of pain, sometimes even God drawing near causes us more fear and we just hold on to the problem more tightly because if we let it go, then it's going to get worse. And so we're just clamped down inside like a guy who really needs a cup of coffee and a bran muffin and, and we got to relax and let go and move through this and let Jesus come in and relieve us of that. And that's exactly what's about to happen to the disciples is they're going to have Jesus come in and change that, change the situation that they're in. But when you're in that place of pain and fear, you, you need to see and know that in the midst of that, that just letting God come in and work in your life can be incredibly risky, but he has compassion on you and care for you. And it says, immediately seeing their fear, Jesus spoke to them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Uh, this is an awesome moment in the story. It's actually almost my favorite moment in the story because in the place where the disciples are losing their mind and they're about to give everything up, that it would be better that they're dead, right? Like they're that afraid. Jesus speaks into the chaos. Now, God is not unfamiliar with chaos. Remember in the creation story, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering where? Over the waters. And it says that the waters were formless and void. And it's actually this picture of chaos and disorder. And what happens? God speaks and order starts, right? Like from the beginning, God has been God over the chaos and the difficulty and the trauma and the fear. And he's not afraid of yours because when the universe was nothing and emptiness and terrible, he made it good and wonderful and perfect. And he could do the same thing in your life. And if you're familiar with the Psalms, one of the things that you're going to see in the Psalms is it talks about the sea, it talks about the chaos, it talks about the tumult, and every time the answer to that is the Lord. Now the Lord wants to speak into your chaos. The Lord wants to speak into your difficulty. He wants to speak into your trials and your traumas. You know the first thing he's going to say to you? Don't be afraid. He wants to lend you his comfort, his peace his strength in the midst of what you're going through. Now, Peter does something wild. He says, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come out to you on the water. Now, Peter kind of gets short shrift here because in a moment, Peter's going to freak out just like the rest of us would, right? But the reality is Peter is the only guy who responds to Jesus' voice so far in the story that we're seeing. Peter's the only guy who's willing to engage Jesus at his word of not being afraid. Now, he does it in a really weird way. I, Lord, if it is you, could you just come and get in the boat and make it better? I could just think of like 17 things that would have been better to ask than can I come out into the problem with you, Jesus? But for some reason, Peter decides, let's do this, right? And so he says, Lord, if this is you, if this is you, let me come out to you. You'll notice all the people who criticize Peter never get out of the boat, right? They never get out of the boat because honestly, people who criticize are usually the most afraid and the most anxious. But Jesus does something shocking too. He says, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, for some reason in my head, it was always like a rowboat that was just big enough for all 12 of those guys. But the reality is this is a big fishing boat. It would fill up our whole stage. And it's deep because it's meant to hold a whole lot of fish. And so you see this picture of Peter getting out of this boat. And there had to be a moment where he's standing on the rails on the side of the boat and he's getting ready to step out. And can you just see this? I mean, have you ever seen a guy getting ready to dive into like moving waters? You kind of time it, right? But instead of diving in, I think Peter's like looking and he's waiting for the wave to come up just to the side, right? Because otherwise you've got to jump down onto the water. That sounds a little bit weird. So he's like steps over and onto the wave. Peter's walking on water with Jesus. How is he doing this? Faith. Peter is doing this by faith. Faith is carrying him through the impossible. Faith is carrying Peter through the impossible. And he starts to walk towards Jesus. That is amazing. You know, God can give you faith beyond the faith that you have right now. You can ask the Lord to increase your faith. He might do it through trials, and he might do it by just pouring out a little more faith on you. It says that faithfulness is a spiritual fruit, but it also says that faith can be a spiritual gift. This is a spiritual gift that I actually think our, our brother and my fellow elder Chuck has. Chuck has the gift of faith in my estimation. When you talk with Chuck about problems, Jesus talks about, or uh, Chuck talks about a perfect savior, Jesus, the problems every time. And somehow you walk away more encouraged after talking to him. Why is that? Because he's walking through your problems with you by faith. So Peter walks by faith. And then it says immediately, wait, 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 we skipped. But when he, he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid because, and began to sink. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. So Peter sees the waves. He sees the power of the wind, and he starts to sink. He starts to sink, and he cries out, Jesus, save me. Now classically, classically what's said here is, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. And you do. And you do. It's so easy to see the power of what is against you. It's so easy. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about some of the societal difficulties that we're facing in this world. And many of us don't know what to do in the face of people who are obviously one gender and saying that they're another gender. People who are obviously saying what the Bible calls evil, they're saying it's good. People who seem so hard-hearted to the Lord. 
man, they don't have more power than Jesus. And their minds and their confusion and their sin is no greater than yours before Christ. And the power of the gospel is still the power of salvation unto them. And sometimes we get so caught up in what we see the problem is, we forget that Jesus is the perfect solution to that. And we don't have to wrestle with their souls. We just get to love them and share Jesus with them. Don't get caught up in the wind. Don't get surprised by the waves. Keep your eyes on the Savior who can save you. And I love this. Jesus' response. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Does that seem so rhetorical? I mean, this is a massive storm. This is a really big deal. Peter is drenched. He's almost died. He lost his mind, afraid of a ghost, right? He's just barely getting out of the problem. What does Jesus say? Why do you doubt? I'll tell you why I doubted Jesus. I thought I was going to die. It was really scary, man. But Jesus meets him in that place, and he asks him. Why does he ask him? Does he, is he unfamiliar with Peter's heart, the human condition? No, he asks him because Peter needs to think through these things. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, and Jesus, or the Lord is walking in the garden, and he says, where are you? Did he not know where Adam and Eve were? When he says, what have you done? Did he not know what happened? When he said, who told you? Don't you think he knew? There's something that happens in us when we talk through the difficulties that we face. It transforms it, and the place that can feel but not talk about it connects to the place that talks about it, and it heals our minds. And as the Holy Spirit counsels us, I find that often the Lord meets me in the place of pain and translates that into prayer, and that, that transforms me from a place of pain to a place of praise. Okay, I'm going to do that again. Place of pain, the hurt in my life, place of prayer, expressing that hurt to God, takes me to a place of praise, right? Takes me to a place of praise. That is a healing process for us, and the Lord is going to seek us out into that. And then, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. The wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God. Fear is overcome by faith. Fear is overcome by faith. They move from the place of fright to the place of worship. And what do they say to Jesus? Truly you are the Son of God. You really are God. You really are the Lord over this situation. You really are the one who can handle this, Lord. And I don't have anything to fear. Praise the Lord for that. When you are in a place of fear, it's time for you to activate your faith. When you're in a place where you don't know what to do in your life, I promise you that if you start praising the Lord, you're going to start seeing the answers coming in that moment. When you feel dominated by your problems, it's time to get a bigger God. Because if you have a little God, you have big problems. But if you have a big God, you have little problems. And the journey to that is a journey of praise, where you seek after the Lord. It says in the Word that we are supposed to encourage each other with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Why is that? Because they build your faith. They build your faith better than my sermons do. When I'm at home, I don't find myself reciting my sermons again. You know what I do find myself doing? Singing the songs that we're singing again because those are the things that build my faith. This might renew my mind, but my faith is fed by the praise that I engage in. My faith is built as I thank the Lord for what he's done. Thanksgiving will fuel your faith and praise will empower it. You need to seek the Lord in these waves. These ways, pardon me, and in the waves. Uh, 
Now, most of the time the story stops here, but I think that the Holy Spirit included this next part intentionally so we don't miss it. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret, and it's called that for pastors now to be humbled. Now, when the men in that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. Such needy people. Can we just condemn them together for a moment? Gosh. Okay, let's move forward. They begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe, and as many as touched it were healed. As many as touched it were healed. And do you remember when Peter's problems got better? When Jesus touched him. He cried out, and the Lord came to him. These people had greater faith than Peter. Jesus arrived on their shores, and they brought the sick. And what did the sick do? If we could just touch you, you will heal us. When you are in a place of difficulty, you can absolutely call out to the Lord, and he will seek after you. But you can also say, Lord, in my difficulty, I just want to reach out and touch you, and I need your healing power to be released in my life. And, and it will. And it will. You know, Jesus says really challenging things to people. He says things like he said in Matthew 9 to the paralyzed man, as your faith is, so it is done for you. As your faith is, so it is done for you. Wow. It was done to them according to their faith. You know, some of you are going through trials and difficulties right now. It's being done to you according to your faith. Your God is really small. He's my God too, but I know he's a little bigger than you think. And some of you are like, you don't know anything about God yet because I've seen him do better than you talk about, Pastor Chris. Because he's greater than any of us know. That's why Paul says he's able to do more than we can ask or even imagine. Because he's greater still than we can know. In the midst of your trials and difficulties, let your faith grow. Don't let your problems be bigger than your God. Your God is so much greater than anything you can face. The cancer word, the poor word, the rich word, the broken word, the abandoned word, the addicted word. He's greater than all of these things. And if you just ask him, he will walk to your boat in the middle of your trial and he will take you to places you never dreamed you could go. Maybe today you're in a place of difficulty and you need some prayer. We're going to pray right now, but like we did a couple weeks ago, I'm going to stay at the front here during the last song and, and afterwards even while people are cleaning up chairs because the Lord wants to reach into your life. He wants to transform you and move in you. He wants you to take, take you to a place of healing. He wants, you to take you he wants to take you past the problems. He wants to give you greater faith. And maybe today is the day that you respond by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story in the Gospel of Matthew. Lord, I know that on the way into this, you, you said to me personally that my faith needs to grow. That I fear and I doubt in the problems that I face. I pray, God, that you would increase my faith personally. And Father, many of us here are facing things unspoken. We have concerns. We're afraid. We're afraid for our friends and even our family. Father, forgive us for our doubt. Lead us to a place of greater faith. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be ministering to us. Our hearts need your courage. Our hearts need your strength. We see that happen to the disciples in Acts, Lord. They're dismayed, and then your Spirit comes, and they have power. We pray, God, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. 
We ask, God, that you would be working in us so that we become people of boldness and courage, not people of fear, people of hope, not people of doubt, people of Christ, not people of crises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.